0: Somewhere in the Houston, Midtown area, it's The Sit-Down with Slick Vic. Welcome, everyone. It's The Sit-Down with Slick Vic. I have a very special guest today. I'm joined by the very powerful Tamika Kasten-Miller. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: I've I've wanted you on for a while, but, uh, you know, scheduling and, you know, I know you just got your, uh, which we're actually uh, on location at uh, her new home. And it is fantastic. I just would like to say the uh, decor is amazing. kind of has like a little bit of a modern look, if I may say so myself. But uh, Trying to
1: do that modern ranch vibe.
0: I know it feels good, right? Finally kind of having things.
1: Dude, it's so good. We were in the middle of like just being in so many different places, none of which felt good or felt like home. It was really hard to kind of be at my best in those places. So I think that's what you're sensing right now is that sensation of grounding.
0: I am. It's a very nice uh, place. I uh, really like the color scheme, gray, my favorite color. So you chose well. Definitely. Like, thank <laughs> you. I'm glad,
1: I'm glad we got your approval. <laughs> and um, actually the house is located at the Ranch Houston, which is actually an establishment that supports the community as well.
0: Right, um, you are uh, the owner. Uh, you and, and your wife, correct, mm-hmm. kind of joint joint owners of the of the Ranch Houston. Um, tell tell the view, uh, the listeners a little bit about the Ranch Houston.
1: Oh, the Ranch Houston is an intentional um, organization that is meant to help people come back to their their inner child through creativity and curiosity, and so here we have. Um, different ways to connect in that way. So whether it be through gardening um, at the garden project or yoga with Asha Yoga, or um, even just this weekend, we had um, our first event from um, the mill HCX, which is our art um, company. And so um, in all those ways, people are able to kind of play with the earth and play in the earth and connect to themselves in, in a way that makes them feel whole happy and seen and create to, and connect to community at the same time so we've become like experts in social distancing here because we are we're on two and a half acres so we can do that so that people can actually play and be safe all at the same time
0: now for those of you that don't know um you are a yogi correct you uh, anyone is that so does anyone that teach yoga are they automatically a yogi mm. or is there more to that
1: Man, I'm going to make some people mad with my answer. <laughs> it's, it's <all> right. <laughs> I think they would like to think that they're yogis, but I wouldn't say that everyone teaches yoga. Yoga is a yogi. I've seen some people who teach yoga recently doing things that I wouldn't think that a yogi would do. Um, but yes, I am a yogi and um, I'm considered a householder, which means that I'm not someone who would be living on the side of a mountain, you know, in the Himalayas and, and being a full time yogi, if you will, giving away all of my positions and stuff like that. But,, uh, but, yes, I am, and I try to do my best at 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 living that life as much as possible.
0: Yeah, because from from what I can uh, from what I've gathered, uh, it it kind of stems from from uh, what Hinduism, right? That's really where. Uh, yoga itself, is kind of, or maybe even predate, does it predate Hinduism?
1: Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's super old. It's like 3,000 years old. And so when you're looking at the old, old religions, um, you're going to, yoga's, there are two philosophies out there, but most people agree that yoga came out of South, South Asia. So this is the home of Hinduism, Jainism, Zoroastrianism, and things like that. And so, um, these super ancient areas, but yeah, it goes all the way back to, um, uh, 3 th- uh, I'm trying to think like 3000 BC or something like that, or maybe not that far. I can't think right now because I'm I, I, am not at my best in this second <laughs> with my historical reference, but, but yeah, it goes back pretty far. And, um, but there's this other group that believe that it came out of Egypt actually, hmm. because some of the hieroglyphics suggest that these are, those are poses that are still being done. And so there are people out there who are like, no, yoga actually came out of Africa. So anyway, but we know that it is an indigenous practice that goes way back. And, um, and it's oftentimes associated with Hinduism because Hinduism incorporated yoga as a part of their, their religious practice.
0: Yeah. I was, uh, I was never a huge yoga guy, you know, growing up or even, I would say, uh, even 10 years ago. But, um, I know the first yoga class I ever, I ever, uh, took was, was here at the Mm -hmm. ranch and, uh it was great um i think incorporating like the breathing techniques Mm -hmm. and the meditation
1: and it was restorative yoga too right so you actually came into what some people refer to as the at most advanced yoga because it's so quiet and it's so still it's not all the gymnastics that you see oftentimes especially on on instagram you know but it's it's a really still restorative practice that's meant to like calm your mind and in our society that's not something that we really get behind I mean, you can't really sell ad space to people who have calm minds, who understand that all their needs are met, you know, (laughs) so our culture really likes to tell you how you're deficient and, and what you need, and you need this to be happy, and you need this to be healthy, and it's like, no, or not, like, actually, what you need is just to, like, tap into yourself and really just connect to your own truth and speak your truth and stop hiding who you are from the world, and you'll be healthy, happy, and free, so...
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Um, yeah, well, one, what's good about about uh, the ranch is, like you were saying earlier, it's 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 a it's a big area. Mm-hmm. So um, I know COVID has affected a lot of businesses, but mm-hmm. yours seems to be, to be doing well, and I think that has to do with the fact that uh, people don't want to do people don't want to be in enclosed areas. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be indoors with people who are sweating and yeah breathing everywhere. And you you offer an option that. Most yoga studios don't offer, right?
1: Yeah. And it's crazy because, I mean, it was a pivot for us. I mean, our goal was to get our brick and mortar up as quickly as possible and get people in it. And then when COVID happened, we're like, or not. You know, like um, we went from, and this question that I keep, you know, talking to people about in the community is shifting this question from when is this going to be over to what is possible right now? And when we started asking that question of what is possible right now, what was possible was to utilize our open space to keep people connected to themselves and to the community, but six feet apart, mask in the open air and all of that. And so I actually think that the reason why we're thriving is because we're not relying upon COVID going away to keep doing our business. We understand that. I mean, we don't know how long we're going to be here. I personally don't think that we're going to be in any sense of normalcy that was recognizable before March until 2021. So if that's the case, then why would I sit here and, and be just like frustrated and fighting that? Why not continue to do what I do, but in safe spaces that are safe? You know what I'm saying? I just really think a lot of people haven't shifted in that way because they're just digging their hills in, waiting for things to, quote, go back to normal I'm just like, what is normal anyway? Maybe we all needed a shift. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe, maybe we needed to give the Amazon a break by stop driving so much. Maybe we needed to chill for a while. Maybe we needed to connect in different ways. You know?
0: Yeah, like you were saying, you you made a shift, mm-hmm. and you know, I know I know a little bit about yourself. You know, you're 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 the mother of my future child. I'm the grandmother of my future child. So, mm-hmm. um, I've you know got to know you, and you know, I know that you. We're not always like you, you didn't always know you were going to be a yoga teacher, right? Mm-mm. You originally were were a teacher.
1: Well, wow. actually, before that, I was a businesswoman. You're OK. So this so is like third career. Third career. <laughs> oh,
0: so um, you are from from Louisiana.
1: No. So my family is from Louisiana. I was reared in Louisiana, okay. as we call it. Um, but uh, no, I'm from North Dallas originally. And I didn't realize how racist North Dallas was until after I left. So went from North Dallas, um, grew up there, and then at 18, went to college in Austin, Hook'em horns. And <laughs> I lived there for, you know, my, my daughter, your, your partner, um, you know, we lived there for, um, I, I used to love it, you know, I was a student there. Of course, you're kind of brainwashed into loving Austin when you live there. But what I realized is just how, how, la- how it lacked diversity and um, so a lot of, I always say a lot about Austin is actual fiction because it's really easy to live with people that look like you and act like you and all of that. So we moved to Houston because I wanted for my daughter to see people who look like her um, running things. And at the time there was a black mayor, there were people on TV who were people of color and all of that. So we we moved here and and so we've been here. But yeah, I was a businesswoman um, mainly because I just wanted to um, be able to raise my child as a single mom because um, her father and I got divorced when she was pretty young. And, um, <clears throat> yeah. And so we, um, I went into business and I was like, just trying to get that cheddar. I didn't really care about anything else. I, even, I kind of threw away dreams of being a professional singer because I didn't, couldn't count on that. So it's like, yeah, let me make that money. So I chased the money until it really, I started to see people for, I started to turn into the executives who were my clients and I didn't like that. Um, so I was like, you know what, you know, I'm gonna, I really, what I really want to do is teach, but man, that'll make any money. <laughs> and so, um, I just cut some fat, trimmed some fat and, um, and then I went into teaching.
0: So going, in, going into teaching was not a financial decision for you. It was, a. Uh... You you were you just weren't happy with with the the way the business world was making you become because you kind of yeah. have to become a part of the machine mm-hmm. to to succeed. So you you made a pivot to to teach. Um, yeah. Was that to have more of an influence with our youth, or what, what was the uh, the reason you did that?
1: Well, I think that the most subversive thing. Well, the, now my opinion on what the most sub- subversive thing. But I think there are two ways to be sub- subversive in a grossly capitalistic society and the first one is to teach kids particularly in a red state and particularly if you're a person of color you begin to show kids that they can that education is a blank check that they can they can they can do whatever they want with it like if they want to write a really small blank you know fill that in with a small number then that's what they can do and they can kind of live small you know, but if they want to really make a, an investment in their education, you know, I'm also a Spanish speaker, as you know, I also speak Portuguese, you know. Um, so I've invested a lot of my education. And for that reason, I mean, I've had a lot of life. I, I own, you know, this this business, these businesses now and um, and have been able to pivot when my life wanted that. So like leaving corporate America felt like such a difficult decision because I knew I was going to cut my income in half. Um, but actually, when I became an educator, the investment that I was going to be making into black and brown communities um, was so much more important. And it turns out that I actually had more time, more space because I really loved what I was doing. Um, so, yeah, so, so I did that and, um, and, and started working in, in what's called a Title I school, which is a school that is going to be, um, mostly free and reduced lunch, if not all. And actually what's crazy that the, uh, the listeners may not know is that the school, my very first school that I taught in was the school that you graduated from.
0: Yes, that's correct. I Leaf Elsick High School, Mighty Rams.
1: That's right. That's SWAT. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it. I loved it. I love the culture. I love the kids. And I love being around a whole bunch of black and brown kids on any given day, Asian kids from all over, um, people from all over the world. You know, most people don't realize that A-Leaf is the the most diverse place in the United States now. It passed, uh, all of the districts in, in New York. And so it was kind of cool because, um, I wasn't raised with that and i was raised in a a super white area and uh kind of black people knew their place was either as entertainment or as a as a you know football player or a singer or whatever and so being in this space of alief was awesome so yeah so i went from teaching and then now uh, and i started teaching kids yoga too i was an avid yogi when i was teaching kids so i just started doing yoga with them and then eventually i was like you know i may want to do this full time
0: so you went straight uh into uh, teaching high school mm-hmm um, yeah I
1: never wanted to teach the littles they're cute <laughs> but <laughs> well, no, well the, uh, the,
0: the reason I bring it up is um, especially with uh, what 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 times we are living in the current situation um, you know the ed- to me the education system uh, ne- needs to be restructured it needs to be re- mm-hmm. re- it needs to be analyzed and redone um, so maybe you can kind of help me out with this um, what what did you see because because you taught Spanish correct mm-hmm But did you, I don't know if you talked to other teachers, but how did you feel the material that was being presented to the children, like in terms of history, in terms of, Mm -hmm. um, was that accurate material that they were getting taught, or was there a different agenda that that the school district's trying to feed the children?
1: Well, it's interesting because um, Elsick was operating inside the state of Texas as opposed to Texas operating inside of Elsic. What I mean by that is that Elsik to date, the, the teachers that I worked with at that school are still the best teachers I've ever worked with. Um, they really didn't care what the agenda of the state of Texas was. Their agenda was to um, develop and cultivate curiosity in kids and have them see themselves in the curriculum. So, the curriculum itself was super flawed and for sure if you had let's take let's say you have a white kid in a white district there that curriculum was going to look like them it's going to feel really comfortable but teachers at elsic white black hispanic asian doesn't matter what the culture uh, of the teacher was they did not want to we did not want to be teaching kids in a way where they weren't seeing themselves in it and so we taught uh, a lot of things that were outside of the curriculum so that kids could see themselves. And I think that that's why we had and still there still are to date, you know, so many black and brown um, valedictorians um, out of out of that school, because because it, it, for those who don't know, in a leaf, it was like 33 percent um, black and black is black. Like it could be black Latino. It could be black African. It could be uh, African-American. And then it was 33% um, per- um, Hispanic uh, or Latino from literally anywhere in, in any Spanish speaking country. And then it was 23% Asian uh, from all over Asia and then 3% white. <laughs> and so, so there were. I only taught two white kids when I taught in a which is pretty funny um, because I taught there for eight years. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, if you were to go to another school district, their valedictorians were always Asian, you know, and, and A-Leaf, that wasn't the case. They, they You know, the valedictorian, the salutatorian could be anything because teachers actually saw the kids as, as kids instead of and as potential, not as like, oh, you're black, you're this or you're Hispanic, you're that. They were just like, look, this is a kid in front of me. I'm going to I'm going to empower this kid you know, and see what the kid can do. So that was my experience. Now that may not have been my experience. Um, my experience may not be what was the case right. when you were there or what was the case, you know, um, after me or before me, but I know I was around a dynamic group of teachers that are still doing it. Like one of them now is a principal, you know, an A-Leaf and, you know, another, actually two are principals, one in A-Leaf, one in fair. Like, these are just people who continue to do big things for, for kids and teachers of the year and things like that, you know? Um, so yeah, but, but, but I agree though. I know that we talked a little bit about about this and I'd love for you to articulate, you know, how you feel the system is flawed, but I, I definitely saw what we were doing as different than the narrative that is oftentimes sold and digested to kids in school. So, for example, for me, no one ever presented like Ivy League to me. I probably could have gotten into the Ivy League with all of my credentials that I graduated with. But it wasn't even something that was presented to me as an option. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I just wonder how many other kids who are black or brown kids or indigenous kids who don't even know that that's a potential for them. On the contrary, when my daughter was in eighth grade, she wanted to go to Harvard. You know, that was that was so different. Harvard was not even on my radar when I was in eighth grade. But but she had me as a mom. So I'm like, hey, what about Harvard? Like, let's find some schools for you. It turns out she didn't go there. But, you know, but at least she was thinking that, you know. So, yeah, the syst- I really think that, like, the system has a lot of work to do just by they, they, the, the problem, I mean, you tell me what you think, but for me, I think that the problem is that they think oftentimes that teaching kids is about, you know, keeping them safe, which it is, um, and teaching them, delivering your curriculum, which it is, and getting kids ready for life after high school, which it also is. But the thing that they forget to tell kids is that what they need to to hear about what their options are. You know what I'm saying? Like like they forget that they have more contact with those kids than their parents do. So even if the parent is like a migrant farm worker or even if the parent is, you know, an undocumented immigrant or even if the parent is like in prison, which I I had students whose parents were prostitutes um, drug dealers and who were gang gangsters in other countries and things like that. And it didn't matter because when they came into my classroom, they knew that whatever they wanted, they were in charge of creating. You know what I'm saying? I just wonder if the schools did if, if we if schools would do the job of telling kids that from kindergarten, what would high school kids look like? You know what I'm saying? In high school already, I was trying to rebuild kids, you know, (laughs) who have been broken by their sixth grade teacher or their fifth grade teacher or their eighth grade teacher or whatever. So it's like, nah, they should come in like, what are we, what are we doing next? Like, I'm ready to be an an engineer.
0: Right. No, I think you kind (laughs) of nailed it when you were saying earlier that like when you were younger... When you went to school, you you know Harvard wasn't even on your radar, mm-hmm. and see that's that's a part of the problem, right? Harvard mm-hmm. should be on everyone's radar. Seriously, Harvard and all these opportunities should feel like anyone can do them, mm-hmm. and just because you, I mean some some of the, the districts or the schools don't even give them the options like they don't even know about it
1: yeah and then they think they can't afford school and it's like well i have to go into the military because i can't afford school i'm like no actually because your parents do make forty thousand dollars a year school can be free for you at cornell school can be free for you at rice school can be free for you at harvard at yale at stanford you know they don't even know that so they don't even aspire to it so that's why this one of the things that I think is the most subversive thing that you can be is just a really progressive and smart teacher that motivates kids to see what they can actually do instead of the narrative that they're being sold by society.
0: And I think um, also, like you said, Elsick is kind of a kind of a diamond in the rough, right? Mm-hmm. They, uh, because the majority of their students aren't white, they have to cater to to everyone else, so they,
1: they have to see kids as they are,
0: right? And and they they can they can. Uh, handle things better for the, the, the general population, mm. but I mean, I, I, my my issue is with the the way uh, the resources the resources are allocated to mm. the districts. You always find um, better tools in, in the rich districts. Yeah. And, um, I get it, right. The, the, the school sit on in, 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 a neighborhood with the wealthy neighborhood. So they have higher taxes. They have, so they have more money, but you know, if it's a public school, it's a public school,
1: right. It should be, it should be like allocated. You know, one of the ways that systemic racism is in our schools is by tying neighborhood taxes to the schools. You know, if you've got a rich neighborhood, you have a rich school, that school has all of these resources. If you look at Spring Branch ISD here in Texas, we have like the richest and the poorest of the entire city right in this, in that area. So we've got the kids who are in Memorial um, area, which is like where all the oil money is. And then we have the kids who are on the other side of the highway, who are the children of, you know, folks who have it rough. You know what I'm saying? You've got those kids competing for the same resources in the same damn district. And it's like how, and the kids at one high school definitely get more than another high school. It's just like, and then of course, they're going to attract the teachers who are going to utilize those resources. Right? So you, you have, you have teachers who are new or who scrappy you know grit gritty teachers you know they're going to work in those lower income schools because they know how to make low resources work but they shouldn't have to you know what I'm saying like it's a public school everybody should have the same access to the same funds
0: yeah no I I mean I completely agree um I I just think of my brother you know he he's an art teacher and I remember he told me when he you know he finished his degree and his first teaching job was at this uh this middle school in third ward, and he did not have a good time. let me tell you, mm-hmm. I mean he was stopping fights almost every day,
1: oh yeah, the fights um, are incessant
0: getting death threats from from the students you know it mm-hmm. it was a female student threatened to kill him and it was you know he was like yeah i can't mm-hmm. I can't do this so i mean it's almost like. The 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 system is is set up for these kids to have a lower education than these other kids in, in good neighborhoods with good schools and better. I mean, I get it. Right, all the all the students in each location aren't going to be the same. Right. Some some locations.
1: Well, no, the students are the same. That's the thing. That's the big lie that people okay. sell. Is the students are the same. The students are are the same kids with the same curiosity, with the same desires to, to do well. But what ends think, up happening is people tell those kids different things as they grow up.
0: But don't you also think there's a factor of maybe not having the same stability at home? Um, no
1: nah, but- man, because actually studies have shown that the that it only that they the teachers in a kid's life actually are the bigger influences in that in that student's life and in their their potential for success then their home life the and their and their financial situation the problem is is that humans are in education and also humans are parents right and so they think that a kid who has lower resources has less potential but it actually isn't that if you tell a kid who has low resources, but you tell them they have all of the potential, that they're special, that they're they are going to do well, that they are amazing, that they're they're an exception, right? That kid will succeed. Kids will meet the bar that you set for them. The problem is that in low-income areas, the bar is set super low, and so the kid is going to meet that bar, and it's going to take um, the exception to see a different bar to say, no, I don't want this bar. I want that bar. That's why, that's why these kids aren't getting into, you know, the schools that are going to get to gift them the, the job, the community, the, you know, the, the contacts with the executives and blah, 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 all those things. That's why they're not getting that. because they're not sold that that's possible for them.
0: Now let me, let me ask you this. Um, when you decided to become a teacher, um, I think you have to, because you had already graduated from college, but you wanted to become a teacher. You mm-hmm. had to uh, get like a, a certification, mm-hmm. so you basically are training you to become a teacher. Um, when they're doing that, is there a kind of a, a guidebook and how no. you should handle? No, is that God? More? No, no, you
1: no. Know, that's the fu- that is the funniest part about these alternative certification programs. And that this isn't to demean them. But for sure, if you're going to go through one of them, you have to really want it because they don't really give you tools that are really going to work. Um, Maybe in a perfect scenario they do, but for sure, I didn't learn anything in that program that actually helped me. What ends up happening when you do an alternative certification program is typically you're doing the program um, while you're working and whatever else, and then you have your first year of teaching which is your probational year. And so you're teaching as you're learning to become a teacher. So theoretically you have a mentor or two and you have guides. Now um, there are some districts, a is one of them that does that really well. Like you have a mentor for three years, you know, they make sure that you get all the resources that you're getting. They make sure that you get all this extra training. Um, but there are a lot of districts that don't have that. Um, and, so you have all these super new people who are kind of really interested in mentoring kids and they get into such into the situation of teaching them with zero backup and what happens then when you have like kids you know beating the hell out of one another in the in the hallway you know what resources do you have for that so for me, it was shutting my door. I was like, Hey, they're fighting outside. I'm I, like, that's above my pay grade to be you know, breaking up fights of six foot four kids fighting one another and pulling, you know, no, I'm not going to do that. You know? But, um, so yeah, so I did that alternative certification program, but for sure, you know, that first year I had really great intentions and I was very innovative and that's why I survived.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, you, so, um, there's, I mean, I think that's why you see so many different types of teachers, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now you were you were mentioning you you know you had to become innovative. Um, obviously, you seem to. I, well, that's because you've you've told me uh, stories about how how you handle kids a little bit unorthodox, but in a, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Do you think there should be more or of of maybe t- molding the teachers? Because you know I think. I mean, yeah, you always, you have good teachers, but you also have, you know, pretty, pretty bad teachers sometimes. And, um, in my experience, the teachers that were bad were the ones that were just so quick to go to the referral mm-hmm. or so quick to get them out the classroom, right? They yeah. didn't even want to deal with
1: them. They're like, I, I, I didn't, I, this is not why I'm here. I don't get paid enough to do, you know, I always say that there are professionals who teach and there are teachers who are professionals. Hmm. And so I was a professional who taught. You know, I came from the the professional world, and I learned to teach what made me a successful person to kids. I learned how to translate that to kids, so that they could then go do the same thing. Um, but there are there are teachers who have never done anything outside of the classroom, outside of teaching, and you know, frankly, that's the traditional way of being a teacher. But I I, I think. Um, it would be helpful for folks to have a year or two of real-world experience before they get into a classroom so that they can unlearn a lot of their own conditioning. So um, when I was a teacher, I had eight, eight student teachers, and most of them were from um, Nebraska because there was a an interchange between our school districts and the university over there. And it was crazy because these teachers would come in from um, from a really small town in Nebraska and and tried to teach in an urban school in Houston, Texas. And I remember one of them who was my least favorite. I, I'm completely comfortable saying this, you know, and, <laughs> and, and having it publicized. He was like literally the worst student teacher of all time because he was so um, – he was, he was so arrogant. And the crazy thing was that he was a white dude from a really small town in Nebraska with zero experience with black Brown people, you know, or even Asian people, you know? So he would come in and he's like, Oh, you know, and the kids hated them. And I was, I was just like, dude, like, these are, these are young humans. You know what I'm saying? Like, first of all, most of them have lived more life than you have because Your experience was growing up in a a building where everyone from kindergarten to high school were in the same building. There were maybe a hundred students in this block, like, you know, in this one block, this is what urban education (laughs) looks like people. There were 10,000 students in one square mile. You had two high schools, one middle school and a ninth grade center, and there were a total 10,000 kids in that one little area, 3,000 of which were in our building. So our whole school was bigger than his hometown, you know what I'm saying? And then he comes in thinking he knows about how to talk to these kids that are, you know, urban kids, you know? And so I think about that as metaphor for, you know, a lot of teachers who come in and, I mean, I'm just going to say it, who come in like a great white hope situation because they've seen dangerous minds right. where they see like standby. They're like, oh, I'm going to go, like, I'm going to go save some kids. And these kids are like, screw you, dude. Like, you don't know my life. You don't get to come in here and act like
0: you. That. You know, it's a lot of it's just psychological, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a, a buddy of mine, His his wife, she went into teaching and, and and didn't make it i think she mm-hmm. she didn't make it one year you know wow um, didn't i mean the kids it was middle school you know kids can be terrible you get you, i
1: love middle schoolers so oh.
0: i mean I, I think it's um it's having the ability to kind of just let things roll off sometimes like they're kids right yeah. kids are going to say ridiculous things are going to be
1: but they're also going to call you on your crap too right like they're not going to say you can't come into a room and be like Okay, kids were gonna, they're gonna be like, like I remember so I taught Spanish, right? And so I'm black, you know. Yeah. Kids would come in, they're like, So, you know, where are you from? Are you Colombian, are you Honduran? I'm like, nah, I'm like, I'm just, you know, I'm black, you know, I'm African American, you know, I've just been speaking this language for a long time. So when I would have native speakers, which was half the time initially, then I moved to only native speakers, they'd be like, well, you know, um I am Colombian or whatever, and so blah 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 blah. And I'm like, really, you know? And so, and I'd be like, oh wow, so your Spanish must be excellent, you know? So I give him a grammar test, and then after I gave him the grammar test, the spelling and grammar test, and they get like fail, right? And they be like, because it's written, and then, and I say, so this is da 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 da. And I would say, listen, I may not be perfect, but neither are you. And so let's just let's just come into this point of of learning from and with one another.
0: So you you taught uh, s- uh, Spanish for Spanish speakers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I didn't take that. I don't want. I don't. I don't want. I was lazy. I was. I <laughs> I, t- I took Spanish just. I mean, it looked good on uh, on your transcript, right? Especially, um, I, like I was in, in AP and I was trying to get on the, yeah. like, on the distinguished plans. So We yeah. had to have like I think uh, three Spanish one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I mean, I
1: taught that too, I right? But, I, but I'm like, I'm like, I'm, uh,
0: I, I just remembered, uh, Spanish for Spanish speakers was literally across the hall, and the teacher would sometimes mess with me, and she, like, you, you know, you should be across the hall. I'm like, nope,
1: I'm good right here. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I want to be with all these gringos who don't know anything. Right, well, I, I mean, need this A. <laughs> well, it got to, the, it
0: got to the point where she was just like, all right, this is obviously because I mean everything was so easy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like somebody taking uh, English for like third graders or something. <laughs> so I, My
1: I, class was not like that, though. When I was teaching non-native speakers, I always had native speakers in there like you who were just trying to.
0: Yeah, but you have to give us the same material. Like I did,
1: but I just raised the bar for everybody. No. And, and so the, the non-native speakers were like, this is the hardest class I've ever taken. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what
0: she ended up doing, she was like, all right, well, you, you're, you're like my aide. You help people. So basically I would help her. Nah, I would, man, nah, I, would I would walk around the classroom be like, people need to help. She'd see, this is the, the, the problem with
1: education. She lowered the bar for you. No, I just raised the bar for everybody. I just raised the bar <laughs> for everybody. I was like, look, look, clearly there are going to be some people who were raised with this and there are some that weren't. And all of y'all are about to learn this language as though you just went to Latin America and decided to study there. And they all learned a lot for that reason. You know, how is she going to lower the bar? Didn't we just complain about this, Victor?
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, man, you so you were a teacher for eight years.
1: No, I was a teacher for 11, 11. or something okay. like that. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was 12, and I just did the math, and I was like, oh, no, it was less than that. But, yeah, no, I – yeah, and then I went from that, and I, I kept teaching the kids and, like, yoga. We do yoga on Fridays and things. And then finally I was just like – these kids need legitimate tools to do life. And there's really no huge difference between them and the adult outside of just a few years. You know, we look at kids now, we look at them at 16 and we see them as young and we see them as little. And, but if you look at before, you know, the 20th century, that was not the case, you know, even before, even in the early 20th century, that wasn't the case. That's why a lot of people's grandparents, you know, got married at 16 or 14 or whatever, because kids weren't seen as kids over the age of 12. You know, the, the age of consent in Virginia was like 12 for a long time. Um, and so now we look at kids as, as little and all that stuff. But the truth is, is that they they have the same... Per- moments of being perplexed the moments of being stressed the moments of being anxious and fearful and all that as a 50 year old with, but the only difference is that 50 year old has had 30 more years, 35 more years of acquiring tools to learn how to deal with that. So I was just like, you know what? I would rather provide these tools, not only to them, but to a larger audience, because I was deepening my own yoga practice and I was like, you know what, I had so many, I was so caught up with like, with the size of my thighs and the size of my butt, you know, and my belly and my weight and all this stuff and not feeling comfortable in a in a yoga studio because I was the only black one or I was the only full figure person in there. And I was just like, and I I I just gave myself permission to insert myself in that world. I'm like, I don't care. If I'm the only person here, this is not the first time I've been the only black one. This is not the first time I've only been the, uh, been the only full figure one. So I might as well come in here and learn what I'm here to learn. And I thought, man, what a handy way of thinking for kids and for adults. You know, if you think about like what conditioning you have, like if you look at the culture of your family, you can see what it is your family is selling to you you know, like for, for, for my family, my family never was selling higher education to us. There are a few people who had it, but it wasn't the culture of the family. The culture of the family was to become a manager of a role where you worked up and you became that or whatever. So the culture of my family wasn't that. And so what I like to think about that is that, oh, okay, that that's what they're selling. They're selling, um, upper working class, if you will. Mm-hmm. They're not selling middle class, they're definitely not selling upper class. They're not selling wealth. The family is creating a culture of struggle, meeting ends meet and becoming okay. But like for me, I had friends who were from all over. I've gone to UT, I'd already kind of gone outside of my the culture of my family, if you will, to go to a quote white schools my family would berate me with later. And um, and so there, you know, when you have friends and, and who are wealthy and they're like, no, like this is what a normal paycheck looks like. This is what a normal lifestyle looks like. You know, it's like, so, yeah. So I'll it kinda it.
0: it kinda sounds like it, it, it was a mentality you had. Mm-hmm. It was all about having the right type of mentality, about not really caring what, what the uh, status quo is, Mm -hmm. you know, what if you, so what? So, so maybe a black person is not doing this. So, so what? I'll be the first one. Yeah. You know, you have, you got to have that mentality that
1: there's a first somewhere,
0: right? Right. There's a
1: first somewhere. There were like people like Leotine Price and like Oprah and um, you know, there, there were all and and uh, Barbara um, Jordan who were firsts, and I was like, I want to be a first of something. And you
0: just uh, told me earlier part of your big news. You have the uh, what the biggest uh, Zoom class and uh, Yoga Works.
1: Well, not not the biggest one, but the the biggest Yin class. And so class. it's just a it's it's like yeah, I got this news that my class was super successful, and it's crazy to me because I just remember, like this is a huge yoga company, right? And I just remember never believing that people would come to my class because I was a full figure woman. I remember actually saying those words, who would want to take yoga from me? Like, well, you know, and then I realized I'm like, man, I got to step out of my own way, you know, of, of being in this story that I created when I was younger or that social, that at the, the time media helped me create because I wasn't seeing myself. I've, I don't turn on the TV and see myself. The only time I ever saw myself on TV was through Oprah. Right. So because she was black and she was full figured and and now look at her. So I, I, so, but, but I didn't see that. And so that story, see people don't realize that we're creating our stories, not only by what people are telling us, but also through the omission by what we're not seeing. And if we don't see ourselves in certain spaces, if we don't see ourselves as doctors, attorneys, presidents, you know, ad, ad ambassadors and things like that, then we don't think that that's a role for us. So I, I, I believed that for a long time and thankfully, you know, I do have an amazing um, partner who was like, that's, that's bull. Like you, you know, do, do what you want. Like this is, this is here for you. Why not for you? Why not? And I was like, I don't know. So let me try it. And now, yeah, now like the, my classes, um, the most successful of this style, this particular style um, and in the company. And that's huge, you know, especially considering I'm never doing all these tricks that you'll see on Instagram. I'm not going upside down. I'm not working on my hands. I like I don't care about a handstand. I, I don't. It just <laughs> is like not a goal for me. Um, I care like a goal for me is being able to meditate for an hour without being distracted if there's a fly in the room that is a goal (laughs) right now. (laughs) It's not there.
0: (laughs) What, what, what was it that got you into yoga? Like what happened? When did that start happening?
1: Man, I just like, it was so funny. I was just, I remember I was there with Joa, my daughter, your partner. And, um, I was like, you know what, like we have some time this summer. I'm going to lose some weight. So I started like doing this little workout on, uh, on TV. It was like PBS or something like that. And then what followed it was this little 30 minute yoga yoga program. And so I was like, Oh, that feels really good. Was it the
0: the old white lady? I think she, she has one on on PBS. There
1: was an old white lady. I did do hers. (laughs) I did do hers. And I also did Rodney Yee, who's like the super old school yogi. And yeah. And I came into that practice that way. And then, uh, it was just kind of off and on, you know? And then, man, like 2007 or eight, I just went deep. I found a studio that I loved. It was hot yoga. It was not Bikram. So we are clear, (laughs) Um, but it was hot yoga. And frankly, it was very similar to the Bikram. They they had already distanced themselves from him. And I was like, I love this. Like I can do this, this practice for 90 minutes. And it was hot and it was hard, but I did it. And I was like, this is kind of cool. So I just committed and then weight started falling off. I was like, yes. Also though, at the same time, I had been struggling with pain in my hip for Mm. a long time. And so when I did yoga, I didn't have the pain. I didn't know why I had the pain and doctors were like, well, because you're, you're overweight, lose weight and you'll feel better. So I was like, well, I guess I better lose weight. So, (laughs) so I did. Um, And actually that same year was my first year of teaching um, school
0: why, what made you go into the teaching part? Was it just that you felt as a former teacher that it was kind of like your calling or what What made you decide to start teaching yoga?
1: Well, I started teaching kids first, you know, at, at my school, at Elsick actually. Oh, okay. And so we had a little club and they would come in and they would do the yoga. What I realized was a lot of kids that didn't feel safe at home, um, either because of the circumstances at home or because they were LGBTQ kids. They would actually come to yoga and stay around because they felt safe. You know, they felt safe and they felt seen, and so um, they would come in and do the things and learn how to meditate and learn mindfulness practices. And then, and so we we would have that space. And I thought, I would I would love to do this for more people. Was,
0: now, your, your students that attended the yoga classes were was it boys, girls, mostly girls?
1: It was it was all you know, it was all, um, and I say all because I had a lot of gender non-conforming students. And um, one of my uh, yogis um, was a trans student came out as trans in that time. And um, since then did some activist work with me actually afterwards. So there was this intersection of yoga and activism early on yoga and safety early on, which is one of the reasons why it really irks me that so many like gurus if uh, in quotation marks have um, actually hurt a lot of their students because for me it was a place where I could cultivate safety you know um so yeah and I still I'm still in contact with those students
0: and um, the reason I asked was because there's there's always been this this stigma um against yoga like it's a it's a female female yeah. thing I've, I've never really like I'm not, I'm not gonna lie I was under that impression but and it's I was, crazy but I don't No, why like why was it
1: because people are dumb because people have no connection to history because yoga has always 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 been something that men have 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 um expanded and have innovated and have like if you look at the the ancient yogis they were all the ones that we know about were all men you know they were all spreading all of the the people who brought yoga to the united states and to the west they were all men so it's crazy to me But here's the thing. And this is what won't be a popular comment. I have found that in the West, men are not interested in doing the work um, to better themselves on a spiritual and and, and mental way. There's so much of kind of this impetus to make the money, be the provider, you know those things that people discuss when they're talking about toxic masculinity to look a certain way there's there's not the same impetus to self study you know to look inside and look at okay what am i really hiding why am i working so hard to make this money what am i running away from by doing this cuz if you want to really look at the big questions of your life look at the things you're running away from look at the things that you're hiding um, this is the shadow work that I deal with in my workshops. You know, it's not until we're doing that shadow work that we can actually see what we're, what we're running away from so that we can actually do, um, the work to unite those, um, elements of ourselves. And so, so for example, um, I I had a workshop uh, uh, recently that you attended that was on colonial hangover, like getting um, all of us together to, to talk about like, okay, we're all you know, on board with this black lives matter thing. Like now what, how, how do we go? Where do we go from here? And what are the things that are still hanging around in our culture that, That that make it difficult to move forward, that impede progress. Like, where is systemic racism and where is white supremacy embedded in our culture? And you were the only dude at that event.
0: There was another guy, uh, there was, Oh yeah, there there were two, there 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 were were you,
1: yeah, there were two. And I was, I was just like, what the, you know, because if you looked on social media, there were a whole bunch of, you know, white dudes who were like, yeah, black lives matter and this, that and the other, and we're going to go storm the castle and we're going to break some things. We're going to, we're going (laughs) to, I was like, okay, that's fine. You want to go break some things. You want to yell about the government and blah, 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 whatever. That's just your rage what are you actually doing to educate yourself that doesn't just make you more rage filled? And there were two of you, you know, who were there who were both Latinos and that was it. And I was just like, where are the men? So, you know, I, I, I think there's a resistance. Um, I also have unpopular opinion an opinion that a lot of men don't want to learn from women. And so, while we have a lot of yoga teachers and guides that are women men are like nah, i'm good i'll learn from other men and uh and if they're not in the room then they become the teacher so i see i know a lot of male yogis who i never see actually practice they only are in role of teacher and if they are practicing it is only with their friends that are also men
0: i mean that definitely does exist um I mean, I think that was one of the reasons why Hillary Clinton didn't win the election, right? Because, dude, I mean, uh,
1: and and a lot of ignorance.
0: So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah the,
1: if she would have been a dude with the, if it would have been Bill, yeah,
0: yeah, if it would have been uh, the dude, <laughs> a, a a male with the exact same exact same thing, history, mm-hmm. politics, everything. He would have definitely won.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's just which is crazy to me because um, because. It wasn't men who didn't vote for her. It was women who didn't vote for her. You know, women are complicit in a patriarchy. You know, women are the ones who are still lifting up male voices over female voices because of this whole um, desire to, I actually think it's the desire to like appease their fathers, you know, or, or if we if we think about how the the familial structural the family structure is you know you've got the father who's the head of the family i really think that men uh, that women still seek that out in in business and politics where this man is like the head and then everyone kind of rallies around him to support him and make sure he's good and
0: i think i think you you mentioned it in your uh in your in your workshop the was it the colonization colonization hangover workshop mm-hmm. um, where you were you were talking about how yeah uh, I lost my train of thought um,
1: <laughs> the patriarchy versus the nature right that it
0: was it was kind of instilled through through religion right yeah absolutely um religion you know is all about all you know men being in charge men being uh, mm-hmm. not not just in 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 the book in terms of like the angels and you know god and the disciples Mm -hmm. like every every, it's just male figures everywhere in in the bible and that the same thing with the household right households run by men by the men and i think that's probably i mean this country even though um religion supposedly it's like on the way down people aren't going to church as
1: often but the structures are still there the
0: structure is still there and even 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 if you're like an atheist if you're in a in a bad situation you're, you're gonna you're gonna start praying
1: yeah right you're so, gonna, and and for me there's nothing wrong with religion as long as you know you understand it you understand the the history of it the the, the sales part of it. But if you think about like the, the, the you know, in, in, academia, we refer to all religions as mythology. So if you look at, so I don't want to trigger people by using that, but I'm also not going to elevate Christianity over Islam, over Hinduism or anything like that in the context of this episode. Um, even though the, the language that I speak is Christianity, right. But like, if you look at Christianity, you have three main female characters, um, and who, and who are they? There are Mary Magdalene, right? They're Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, um, and if you, um, who is the, my third character? Actually, those are the two main ones. Oh, and Eve. Eve, yes. So if you, I'm like, who the hell? Anyway, so if you have Mary Magdalene, who's a whore, then you have Mary, mother of Jesus, who is a virgin. And then you have Eve, who is a temptress, right? responsible for the, quote, fall of man. Right. So you've got those three characters. And then you have a few other characters that are very similar. Like you've got Jezebel, who's just another Eve. You have Delilah, again, who's another Eve. So you have these characters, but you have the redeemed whore in Mary Magdalene, who gets who is, who is this character, who is a, a woman of the night. But, you know, she meets Jesus and then she gets to be... Um, now this very important, crucial, um, figure in the, in the Christ story. And actually it is she who ends up seeing Jesus first after he's resurrected. So she is an important person in, in the story. Well, okay. If you look at that and how that translates to women in our culture and Westernized Christian culture today, you know, the expectation is that, well, are you a temptress? or are you a whore? Are you a and can, if you are a whore, can I redeem you? Or are you a virgin? And so there's this this um like virgin mother. You know what I mean? So you kind of have to play this role of maternal and non-sexual because if you are sexual, you're going to lead to the, the the demise. And if you are sexual, you ultimately have to kind of um redeem you have to be redeemed, you have to redeem your sexuality because if not, then you're Eve or Jezebel or delilah, and these people destroyed quote unquote humanity or, or civilizations you're Helen of Troy, you know, so all of these things they don't help us create an an equitable society as opposed to men who are they well, you've got David who's a king, a boy a boy um, who he slayed the giant. You know, you've got Jesus, who's the savior of the entire freaking world and humanity. You know, like you've got Moses, you have Isaiah. So prophets, leaders, saviors, kings, that's the construct of the man within this. And if you look at how men are supposed to be, In our culture, it's the same thing. Which one are you? Are you a prophet, a king, a savior, or whatever? You know what I'm saying? So um, until the narrative around what women are and can be um, is not framed through the lens of religion, then we will be able to move beyond those very narrow concepts. This is why cultures that aren't so religious, like Cuba, Iceland, areas like that, this is why women run the, run those areas. They run the countries because they, they can,
0: they can, yeah,
1: <laughs> they're, they're not, they're not relegated to the dichotomy of the, the mother whore, um, virgin dichotomy, you know, the, or they, they can be anything that they want.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so let's, let's kind of talk about the current, the current climate now. Um, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, your your business uh, as a, but you, but your business is more than just a yoga studio, right? Yeah, um, for sure. You, even though you do offer the, the gardening and, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 your wife does the, uh, the like the pottery class, you just had, had her first class. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, coming to the the workshop, I I came to um, with with the current climate where we, I mean, there's just really a lot of conversations to be had, right? Um, mm-hmm. This is, and I'm kind of. I've always been a fan of just a good old fashioned conversation, right? Like I, I I've I, I'm here for a conversation. Yeah, I'm, I like I've never it. <laughs> I, I I you know I think people are, are too attached to their cell phones and mm-hmm. and it's just hard to just sit down with somebody. Like, I mean, when I was young, you know, my friends and I we'd we'd go to a coffee shop and we and we'd just you know shoot the shit for like a couple hours and it was it was fine. Yeah, and I th- I think with the advancement of technology, you see people go to communicating without without being in person right yeah texting and um even you know facetime is cool but nothing beats you know good good you know uh in-person interaction yeah so with 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 the platform that that, that you have now um with the current situation do you kind of see yourself as now like you have a a different role than you might have uh not had a year ago before all 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 this pandemic and social injustice you know started Mm. really being pushed do you think it'd be a little bit different i mean because now uh there's just more things that are more important right things Mm. that we need to talk about that we didn't even though this conversation should have you know all these things all these changes uh need to have happened years ago but now um I think you know, like the COVID effect, right? Everybody's kind of indoors. Mm-hmm. Um, they have more either time. going
1: crazy or enlightening. Right, right.
0: So, <laughs> yeah. How do you how do you hmm. see like uh, this affecting Yeah, affecting your business.
1: It's really interesting. I have I haven't considered that that question, um, but I actually think that. Um, I don't think anything is by accident. And, um, I think that I was already being, as I mentioned, I think that yoga and the intersectionality of yoga and justice is deep, um, when it is actual yoga. Um, so the most radical thing that you can do for yourself is radically love yourself and be radically compassionate toward yourself. Therefore, then you can be compassionate toward others, right? So if you're, if you're doing that, then, and you are coming back to who you are. So through that work of me coming into my own power through radical acceptance of self, um, I think that that was something that I was able to then start to teach uh, others to do as well. So, I think that in a pre-COVID environment, I was already doing social justice work by asking people to radically accept themselves and to and to get pe- beyond their their bullshit to their greatness. Um, if if we're doing that, then it doesn't matter if it's before COVID or after COVID. The that just means that we are prepared to be warriors for justice for other people, because we're that for ourselves. The the problem is that a lot of folks aren't doing that for themselves. And so what happens is performative justice So what we're seeing now in this post-COVID in this in this COVID environment is people who are very um, adamant about sharing information, or you know uh, even protesting. But but that's as far as it goes. Why? Because they haven't done their own work of radical acceptance of self, and so for them to actually have the difficult conversations with their parents or their family members or whatever, who are racist and who uphold racist systems, they're not ready for those conversations. They're not ready to say that is not okay. That is racist. And I don't, I I will not participate in that type of, of behavior or conversation or whatever. And this is why, here's why, like here, are, here are all the things that you can learn so that you can start changing your behaviors. And if you want to be in my life, then you're going to have to progress beyond where you are right now. People aren't ready to have those conversations. So to your point of now, you know, in this COVID environment, I think what's happened is what I've done is again, pivoted to expand the breadth of what we're doing. I knew months ago that we would offer, um, a salon, which is, um, fashioned after, um, salons came, uh, um, worth that they came, um, became a thing, um, just while the enlightenment was beginning and everyone was just kind of pissed off at what life looked like. Um, this is, this is right before the revolutionary period. Um, and people, and that the, the, um, the murmurings of revolution were happening in the salon. So um, people would come together in someone's house and they'd talk about like, hey, what do we need to do? Like, what's next? And these were multicultural, um, um, diverse societal groups. So people from the lowest of the low to people who who are the bourgeoisie were still coming together to have these conversations. So I knew that we were going to have a salon. It was suggested to me early on. I want to say it was in January And um, before we even closed on the house, I knew Mm. that this was something that I wanted to do. What ended up happening, though, in COVID was I was like, wait, so our salon actually can be a place where now we figure out what are the the next steps for us? Because that's what they did in the Enlightenment, which actually ended up being the French Revolution, right? (laughs) So I mean, they ended up taking off some folks' heads. But they also were trying to figure out like, Okay, what's next in education? What's next to do? And all of these people who we respect today, like Diderot and um, and Rousseau and um, and um, and my favorite Voltaire, you know, all these people. And of course, Thomas Jefferson was also informed by these conversations and went to Paris to become a part to to participate in them. Um, and we see he's you know the father of the modern you know United States, right? So they're doing all these things. I'm like, why can't we do this now? Because this is, this is what we're called to do right now is to enlighten. And people, you know, it's no, like yogis are like, oh, I'm a light worker, like love and light and da, 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 What people don't realize is that being, being that means you to enlighten, not just like, oh, I'm above all these things that like, that the, the world participates in. No, it's by saying, look we were enshrouded in darkness and stupidity which in this context is white supremacy which is internalized racism internalized sexism internalized homophobia and i'm gonna say no to that and because i'm gonna do my work to resolve my own internalized issues so i can stop gaslighting myself And then I'm in turn going to have these difficult conversations and create these groups where we can figure out what's next. So out of our, the the salon that we had, you know, we're like, let's change the freaking education system. Like, let's change the history books. If we change the history books and we actually tell the real story of the United States the real story of the colonies, the real story of Thomas Jefferson and his slave owning self, and and the dichotomy of Thomas Jefferson being the father of the the you know of the America like this new version of America, this experiment of like beauty and power and something that hadn't been seen before, and also literally you know, sleeping with an enslaved woman and having many children with her. Like if we can't have those conversations, then we just create these pedestals of these, um, white men when they were hugely problematic, you know what I'm saying? And we can't dismantle any system if, unless we're talking about it, honestly.
0: No. Um, so are there any salons now? Do those exist?
1: I mean, I know one other person who's trying to do something similar. Um, I, I don't know how effective it is because it's not a, um, I don't know. I don't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen one in the way that we're doing it here um, because there's no next step. The, the thing is, is if you just come together and you just talk about like, want, want, like if you're just Eeyore, you know, mm-hmm. where you're just like life sucks. This is right. the problem. Like white people, this black people that Republicans as Democrats, nothing's ever going to change. There's has to be some definite, definitive next step. And, and the, uh, the, the, I think the biggest thing that is what I'm about is ensuring that the individual is still doing their own work through meditation, through movement, you know, to keep up, to keep flexing the muscle of compassion for self. Cause see, compassion super easy when you're successful. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like, if you're like, Hey, yeah, I'm making all this money. You're like, yeah, I mean, I am great. But what happens if you're not making money? What happens if you're not getting that validation, either through social money, social media, or through a paycheck, that what you're doing is right. You know, you're going to have to get it from yourself. And uh, for sure, you know, there was a long time where I wasn't getting validation from, you know, from either, Uh, you know, and I just had to know that what I was doing was on the right path and have faith because I was doing the work. So I think that the big difference is if someone else is doing any work like that, what I would like to ask for them to do to up level that because there's room for everybody. You know, I would love to see salons across the whole city. across the whole nation you know people just coming coming together with people who don't look like them who don't talk like them who don't make the same amount of money you know and they just come together and they are like hey like let's all talk about this let's have some education around it and now what's what's next what do we do
0: yeah no i i think uh i think it's a great idea i've like i said i I mean i feel like uh growing up I, i was fortunate to have uh friends who who would just you know we'd go we talk and a lot of times you you know because we were all minorities and mm-hmm. we would kind of just talk about the system and what was happening and now you're right that you, you were saying you know what's what's the next step like mm-hmm. talking about it is one thing but you gotta take some action but I feel like if you you know have this 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 salon and um, more people uh, start coming or new salons open up to con- mm-hmm. to kind of continue the conversation. I mean, the one you had here, I mean, there were, you know, there were teachers. I mean, there were people that worked in the district. I mean.
1: There were oil and gas people Oil and in gas here. people. Yeah.
0: You know, it really just takes, it's like a chain reaction, right? Yeah. You, you, you influence the right person. They influence three more people. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, the ball starts rolling.
1: Yeah. Um, and how do you empower people who want change but don't exactly know how to go about getting it? Like that, that's a, that's a legitimate question.
0: No, it it is, you know, and that's actually, um, a lot of people's issues. Like I Mm -hmm. I, I have, I have a lot of friends, you know, I know where their heart is. I mean, I know um, that they're kind people, but they always say like, what's going to change? How do we fix it? You know, what, what are we supposed to do? The system Mm -hmm. is the way it is. And, and I mean, I, I don't have all the answers, right? I can't sit here and tell you this is what you have to do. Um, I can point out the flaws, but I think the only the only way to handle it is just to keep talking about it, keep um, trying to uh, illuminate people's minds with mm-hmm. the truth. Because a lot of it isn't even people not is people not knowing is really the big problem. There's like, a like, lot of like yeah. you were saying, you know, people who have comfortable lifestyles and and they don't have to have all this worry about money and you know their financials. To them, you know, life is great. Mm-hmm. There's, there's nothing going on. There's no issues.
1: Yeah, and actually, potentially, life could get worse if, if things get shaken up, you know, which is which is what we're seeing right now. Right now in the government is what we're, is what we're seeing, like, very, very wealthy, elite people afraid of change because they don't know what, how that will impact them personally. What they don't understand is that there's this, it's not pie. Like, everyone can have a slice of, it's, it's, it's...
0: Yeah, they think if 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 uh, you get a, a bigger piece, they're going to get a smaller piece.
1: Yeah, and it's like, no, it's it's not as actually not the way it works. All the lessons that we need, we can see from walking outside. When we walk outside, and also to that to that end, if we walk outside and all we see is buildings, we're not actually seeing nature. We're seeing fiction. We're seeing a Truman show because we've, we're seeing like what society has created to actually block out nature. So one of the reasons why I love the ranch is because when we walk outside, we actually see truth. We see nature. And when you walk outside and you see nature, you see abundance everywhere. You can't count the number of figs on the trees. You can't count the number of leaves, the number of bugs, you know, um, you, you, you can't because they're, they're uncountable. And that is nature. That is God's way of showing us that that is what is available to each and every one of us. We are a part of creation. We're a part of nature. The only difference between us and a plant is the ability to make decisions. That's it. Like we are, we're, we're sentient beings and we get to choose how we show up in the world and we can choose to show up like nature in a way that's abundant, in a way that Supplies for the cycles coming after us, for the people coming after us, and that gives life. Or we can, or we can be like the 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 the, the very limited, um, almost Neanderthal esque human that doesn't see um, beyond the walls that they've built around themselves. You know, these are the people who walk around toting their guns in a Starbucks and who built the fences around there you know between them and their neighbors to so that they can't see what's going on and blah 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 you know we need to understand that we're that that removal of this tribal nature is is actually super problematic you know because we're we're tribal people and we're we were born and we've always survived off of living together and helping one another. And that's why societies that were deeply tribal have always been more successful and have survived. And when the minute we start throwing up walls and things like that, and trying to separate uh, our country from other people's countries, which is all BS anyway, because none of us is ours to separate So it's like you stole somebody else's Starbucks and now you want to say this one's mine and I'll give you half of this one because this it's like, it wasn't your Starbucks, it wasn't your, not Starbucks, Yours, your, um, I forget what those candies, like Skittles, (laughs) you know, I stole your Skittles and now I'm going to give you half of mine, you know, whatever. It's like, no, it wasn't your Skittles to begin with. So when we start taking the world and we start saying, this is mine, this is yours, and we're not being tribalistic, we're not going to survive that way. So, for me, like walking outside and being reminded, look, we are just as abundant as the leaves on the tree. Like there's enough to go around. Let's just share. And I don't mean that we have to be like socialists. And I don't mean that we have to be. Common. I don't mean any of those things. I'm just saying, like, share your knowledge. Share your share. Help. Share. If you want to share finances, share that too. You don't even have to share finances. Just share your knowledge. Share the opportunity.
0: Yeah, no, I, th- I think one of the big issues in uh, people coming together is is that everyone's choosing a side, you know, yeah. and unfortunately, it, it it has to do with your politics, right? You know, you're either a Republican or you're a Democrat. But I think when people are so quick to, you know, I guess what determines, you know, oh, they've been canceled, like, oh, well, mm-hmm. they're they're uh they're going to vote for Trump. I can't talk to that person anymore. I I I don't think that's the the way to approach the the, the problem, right? I think if there's somebody who cuz cuz let's just be honest here. Not not everybody that votes for Trump is a racist, and not everyone that votes for Biden is not a racist. I'm sure there's racist Democrats and just so there's not racist Republicans, right? So yeah. I I I think the the narrative should be, "Hey, let's let's have a conversation. Let's 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 yeah. talk about why you support this platform, you know, because a lot of times there's so many issues. There's so many issues that you know, mm-hmm. so many issues that, cons- that uh, a platform is based on. And just because we, wanna, we don't agree on one issue, it shouldn't eliminate, you know, all these... All We, the might, yeah, we might agree on other things. Yeah. We, might, we might not. And I think, um, you know, I'm, I've always been, uh, at least recently, just, you know, somebody who enjoys to listen, enjoys to hear the other side. Like, why... I've always found people kind of fascinating on why people think the way they do. And so I, I think the, the beginning is to be able to listen to each other, right? I mean, somebody says something that you don't agree with or is, you know, the other side. Don't say, oh, you're wrong, you're dumb, you're stupid. But you should say, why do you think that? Yeah, I totally, you,
1: I, 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 I definitely think that following up with a question is so helpful. Um, Now, I I will say that I'll push back and say that someone who does vote for Trump for me nine times out of 10, it doesn't, that person will not align with my value system. And there's a difference between voting for Trump and voting Republican. I think the biggest um, lie that has been sold in current politics is that you, if you if you vote Republican, you are also a Trump supporter. And that's not true. I mean, I know right. Republicans and who are absolutely not Trump supporters. Um, and um, and if just like if you vote, just like the the, you know, I think the the Democrats, um, did unfortunately, a really great job of separating themselves. Uh, into progressives and liberals to say, no, like, this is not what I believe. This is what I believe in, blah, blah, blah. I don't think it was helpful when it came time to be, to do the election. Um, but, um, but for sure people are trying to say, no, I, I don't believe, I don't like that guy or I do, I do like this, this woman or whatever. Um, so I think that, yes, we have to, for sure have those conversations to find out, Hey, you know, I'm curious, like you, how, how are you able to rationalize supporting this guy when he has done this, that or the other and blah, blah, blah. I think those are really good questions. I also think that, um, a lot of people haven't done their work to be able to answer those questions honestly. So they don't know how to answer the question of, um, why I'm supporting this person because I don't like that person. Well, that's actually not doing your work. Doing your work is saying, I I am okay with supporting a racist because I don't want to support a woman. That is a more honest answer <laughs> than right. that I'm voting for. I'm voting for this guy because I'm voting against Hillary. No, you're voting for a racist instead of voting for a woman. That's what you're really doing. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, um, and also, I do think that there's another group. I think there are the. the I think there are the group. There's the group of the I'm voting for this person. I'm voting for that person. And then there's the, also the group that's like, screw them all. They're all horrible. I, Nothing matters.
0: I mean, I'm I I I, can, I kind of relate a little bit to that group um, mm-hmm. as uh, as I kind of just start doing my my research on not just current politics but you know the history of politics, mm-hmm. the history of the country, and you know. One thing I've noticed is there's corruption on on both sides, just prevalent corruption, prevalent.
1: uh... Oh yeah. White supremacy depends on everybody. Right. right. It depends on everybody. It's not specific to a particular political party. However, there are groups that have, that are currently um, using white supremacy to push their platforms and to create more systems that continue to oppress more people and new people, you know, uh, 15 years ago, nobody was talking about LGBTQ rights and having that divide in election. No one cared. That's a new issue. It's not like people weren't oppressing LGBTQ people don't get it twisted. I mean, that's been happening since the eighties and, and, before. But of course, it came to its uh, culmination um, during the AIDS epidemic when Reagan was just like, well, you know, let them eat cake, you know what I'm saying? But like, it wasn't a politically divisive argument until recently. That's a new tool to separate people and to create to play party politics. So I think, What people don't realize, and this is, this is so, for those of you listening, you probably, we probably glossed over the part that I'm also a historian. This is why I'm such a history nerd. Um, But when we, when we're looking at these things, we have to remember that um, the questions that aren't being asked, the, the group that is inciting the, the separation and the division, that's the group that's winning there. There's nobody wins. If you look at every major empire, So I'll just, I'll just say, just really quick, but it's super, super interesting. You look at the Goths in Europe, the Goths were like the Ostrogoths and the Visigoths. They were doing it like they were, they were, they were, they were warriors, right? Like they were the barbarians, you know, these are the crew that they, they pushed out Rome, you know, um, and And so they were, they were doing their thing. They knew how to manipulate Rome and they knew how to, um, they set up essentially a society, very similar to what we're seeing, uh, today, you know, where you have the haves and the have nots. Um, and, uh, and they did that, like they were doing their thing. So why, why, what happened to them? They had essentially, they had infighting between brothers you know, it was like, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the, the king. It's like, no, I'm going to be the king. And, um, they were fighting. And so what happened while they were fighting the, the Muslim conquest happened and it happened in like 30 days. So imagine having an entire empire fall in 30
0: days. Yeah, I'd be pretty pissed.
1: (laughs) Right? And that's how it happened because they were fighting. So it's like when you are fighting with one another, anything can come in and divide and conquer your and conquer your world because you're already divided. If you if you look at how the if you want to take it out of European context and put it right here in the Americas, that's how the Europeans conquered Peru. They, 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 there were fights between this set of Inca and this set of Inca. They were, they were arguing, I'm sorry, not, um, yeah, they were, they were arguing and they're like, Hey, we're going to befriend, we're going to go talk to this Hey guys, if you, you know, we'll help you conquer this other family, you know, if you help us, and that's what Pizarro did with his peeps. And they were like, all right, yeah, let's go kill that other crew. They did. And then once they were killed, and they were like, "All right, by the way, we're running y'all too." No, I,
0: I <laughs> no, I completely agree. Um, you know, the people calling the shots, you know, they're loving it. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're loving, and and they're the ones throwing fuel into the fire. You know, even something as 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 uh, as ridiculous as the masks. I mean, how is it that? wearing a mask is a democratic thing and not wearing a mask is a republican thing it's not it's not a it's a, the, anything it's, it's a medical so thing it's a medical thing it's a medical thing it's like we're trying to prevent germs from spreading that has nothing to do with no. politics but because like you said for i mean first of all we can overtake them if we all came together yeah. right that that's what they understand they understand that we outnumber them significantly mm-hmm. um i recommend for everyone to watch uh the the michael moore documentary on on capitalism that that he has out and you don't
1: even have to think that hard you can just watch ants right but (laughs) but i saw uh,
0: a memo from Citibank, and it it, it was a memo to all like the 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 wealthiest americans and you know the top one percent and and it even talked about how much money they were making and you know, and you know they're like, "Oh, we can probably keep this gravy train going." Said that gravy train going for a few more years or whatever. But they acknowledged the only way we can lose our power is if they come together and vote. Because I'm telling you, because that's that's you know that that's the the advantage that we have as yeah. in this country is the power to vote. Absolutely, it's just people aren't voting, especially
1: in the South. Right. Especially in the South. There are so many black people in the South. If every single person in in the South, black person in the South voted, the South wouldn't be red.
0: We should have a national holiday where everybody votes.
1: Yep. Or people just use the absentee voting system or people just or have a system to vote from home. I mean, there are so many. It is not that hard. It, It really is not that hard. If we can encrypt the technology to be able to buy coffee from home without having things being you know I, you hijacked know, I, I
0: actually uh, I thought about that I, I, I was actually in favor of doing like an online voting thing but I don't know. I, I don't I don't trust it now <laughs> with with all the uh, the controversies we've had in the past.
1: Well, and I don't I'm not necessarily a stand for that. But what I am saying is that we have all of these technologies already that we could use to make voting easier. But the thing is, is that there is no there is no movement to get people voting there, there's, and, and while there are people on one side of the aisle that are actively participating in the disenfranchisement of black and brown people, there are also black and brown people who are actively complicit by not doing anything to change those systems. So it's, it's in, you know, I would, uh, one, uh, Ibrahim, um, uh, I forget his last name who wrote the, the, um, the, the book on anti-racism, he would he would not like this comment from me, but that's fine. We're both historians, so he can disagree with me and, and I'll take him to the ancient world and start proving <laughs> stuff. But the thing is, is that the more that you sell a mindset, the more that you sell that you're the winner versus you're the loser, the more you actually believe that, the more that then you demand from society, the more that you will do to promote what you believe to be true. If black and brown and indigenous communities truly believed that we were owed reparations, that we were owed um, a Congress and a Senate that looks like us, we would vote those people in, but we don't truly believe those things. And so we are not actively as, a, as communities working from the inside out to change those systems. Instead, we're saying, hey, white people, it's time for you to wake up and it's time for you to fix your life. It's time for you to fix your racist systems. And yes, that does need to happen. But internalized racism is saying you're the only one who has to do some work. Nah, you need to do your work and we need to start raising up some more attorneys who are going to become senators and judges and presidents. You know, Because guess what? Outside of celebrity apprentice president, Oprah's not going to be the president. You know, it's not. Right. It doesn't work that way. It is going to be you become a, an attorney, then you become a judge, and then you become a governor or a senator or whatever, and then you become a president. Like that's the way that it works. Or run your cities. Like what about freaking um, Buttigieg, who's a south in South Bend, Indiana, which has a huge black community. And he's a privileged white dude who's the mayor who was the mayor of that community. He should have never been the mayor of that community. <laughs> How are you gonna do be a privileged white dude running a majorly black neighborhood like community? They voted
0: vote him in. I know
1: or, or or they, not, by not by voting. Omission, yeah, by omission, exactly. by not voting, right? And so all of the people who essentially are the ones who um, a, who work at Duke or who you know what I mean? Because that's 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 who he's catering to, right? Um, they're the ones doing the voting, and so he's in. Now, fortunately, he's a good guy, you know. Fortunately, he's a progressive and da 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 da. But the opposite could have also been true. And look at look at freaking Georgia, look at Florida. You've got these folks who are being run by these states that are run by crazy um, racist people. And they have huge populations of black and brown people that just aren't voting.
0: No, I I, uh, I, I agree with you, and you know part of the issue is is it's been the the uh, the amount of news that we can get and the different outlets that we can mm. get it from. I mean, growing up, so true. Growing up, you were very limited to what you had, just what ABC and NBC, mm-hmm. uh, CBS. Um, but now, I mean, you have so many new form, new new forms of media, for none example. of which
1: are good. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I mean, well, I'll, some of them. Are. But I mean,
0: I was just going to point out to to the podcast. The podcast, yeah. is a very new thing, right? Yes, um, it's any anybody anybody can say. You know what? I'm gonna just skip broadcasting school. I'm gonna just go to yeah. the, the electronic store. Give me a microphone. I have a computer. Mm-hmm. Boom! Now I have a podcast. Now millions of people. Can listen. Not, not you're gonna get. You're not gonna get a million listeners like that. But you, you never know. You, you never could be you, the next you, you Joe Rogan. You, you never know, right, Joe? Because <laughs> uh, I mean, Joe
1: Rogan literally should not have all the listeners he has. I'm sorry. I know you're a big fan, but he offers very little to well, the world um, besides for, <laughs> like consistency.
0: You know, uh, Joe is. Uh, he's first of all, he's the one that inspired me to start my yes, own. Yes, I know you love him. And, and <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've known about him. Way before he had yeah, the podcast, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a he's a comedian. He was an actor, and so you know I was just a fan of the guy. Yeah. And he is also very big in MMA. So so am I. He's, mm-hmm. You know he's an announcer for the UFC. Mm-hmm. Um But one thing about what I love so much about his platform is that he he listens, right? Mm-hmm. He listens, and he asks very int- very uh intelligent questions, mm-hmm. right? Because I mean he'll be the first one to admit, you know, he's obviously he's not uh college degrees and Mm -hmm. i mean he's a comedian Mm -hmm. right but he's very curious and he has all sorts of people on his podcast whether it's Mm -hmm. he doesn't just have like people like when you're watching the tonight show it's just a bunch of actors and and musicians i mean he has curiosity takes you so far he has politicians and archaeologists and economic people in economics so he, he he offers uh granted yeah i don't i don't expect anyone to agree with everything he says um, but, but he, there's
1: nothing special about him is what I'm saying. Like there's no, there's I, I, you no, know
0: what's, what's special about him is that he is a part of the, like the Renaissance, right? Right. When, no, when it was but it, what
1: I'm saying, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that to demean him. Right. What I'm saying is that though, what is, he's not a unique character in that all he did was he just tapped into his curiosity.
0: Right. That's right.
1: It. He tapped into his curiosity and he's like, let me do the thing. And he did it. And he did it day after day after day.
0: I mean, it's night and day from his first Mm -hmm. podcast to, to what he does now.
1: And look at his platform now. So like that just goes to show that all of the lies that, that people are sold about having to have this pedigree or having to have this access or having to have this, this, or that it's all just a lie to keep people where they are And unless people are doing their own work to dismantle the lies that they've been sold and the narrative that has been painted about them in society, then they will, they will keep, they will keep that, that keep themselves small. But like, when you look at Joe Rogan, there is no reason why Joe Rogan should be the number one podcaster right now. The only reason why he is, is because he took it advantage of his own curiosity. And he just stuck with it. And he, he was in the grind of it every day. So that means that it's possible for, for somebody else, you know, it's possible for you, it's possible for me or, or, or whatever, we just have to have that same grit, and that same drive to actually create a platform.
0: Right. And I think another another factor, too, is that, he uh, he has connections in
1: in, yeah, he does. in the
0: big worlds of of comedy of acting mm-hmm. so he gets big names
1: he does he does but you know what he didn't just come into those connections no, no, immediately exactly
0: no it was it he was, did the work for he them. he did the work for mm-hmm. them and uh, one thing I, I, I remember him talking about was you know he unlike unlike the the Tonight Show when where you show up and it's like okay who's who's gonna be on tonight who am i interviewing today Mm -hmm. he doesn't have a boss Mm -hmm. he's the boss Mm
1: -hmm. he
0: chooses who he interviews Mm -hmm. he chooses when he wants to do it you know and so and that was a part of his big spotify deal that that he just got he was like look like i've had offers on the table from all these different companies are like all right well we're gonna do it like this or you know what? you talk too much about this he's like nah like i I'm gonna do it the way I wanna do He's it. He's just
1: being true to himself. Exactly. That's the whole thing. And I think that people do not understand that their biggest asset is just their own confidence in themselves. You know, when we're sitting here and we're we're doing this thing, we're having this conversation, you know, there can be all of these people out there who can be like, you know, a screw her, I don't agree with her, screw him, what do they know? Blah, 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 blah. They could pop into my DMs and be like, Oh whatever! Or even listen to my podcast, which by the way is Think Flow Grow. Available and, on Spotify. <laughs> actually, available anywhere you listen to. Oh, there you go. Um, but they could pop in, and be like, "This is BS. Like I hate your thing." And and I and it's like, okay, like sure. Okay, we'll, well, what what would you what would you want to see, or what are you talking about? What are we talking about? What are can, tell me more you know, but are you going to tell me who I am? Are you going to tell me about myself? Are you going to have me craft my own? Are you going to have me change my opinion of myself? No, because that's just work that I've already done. So I think that, um, you know, we all have these opportunities to create a platform. You know, you mentioned the salon here at the ranch Houston, Um, for me, that's just a a natural next step, um, because the ranch Houston is about wellness and community and the community isn't well, you know what I'm saying? So like, for me, that's the natural next step for whoever's listening. That might not be theirs. Theirs might be protesting in the streets. I'm not going to protest in the streets in a COVID environment because I am not interested in getting COVID and, or spreading it to someone, one of my loved ones, um, but I can be a person who is a stand for justice as I have been education as I have been for me. I'm like the harbinger of education. Like that is where my, my passion is like empowering you, empowering that guy over there. What,
0: what actually inspired you to start your podcast? What, how long ago did you start it? I don't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: been a while. Uh,
1: it, it has. Um... I guess it was sometime last year, I just really wanted to see, I, I, I realized that there was so much to learn um, from yoga philosophy. So, so I love Jungian uh, psychology and I love uh, yoga philosophy. And I was like, you know what? And I'm a historian, right? So I'm like, if I just put together, like, what if we ask these big questions about life? And then address them, with from the a historical perspective, and give a, a philosophical answer from yoga. What does that look like? So that's what I did. And so when you listen to now my live episodes that which are the last I think five, um, because they were they're in response to and and during and recorded during COVID. Um, they're a little different because I'm not necessarily tapping into all of those areas. But I'm super interested in how history has informed the way that we think about ourselves and look at each other and what we do today, so that we can unlearn the mechanisms and the and the brainwashing even that um, that doesn't serve us anymore. And then we can do the work through meditation and yoga movement and things like that to empower ourselves and change the way we think about things.
0: I think uh, another reason why you know pod- podcasts are becoming like a thing that people listen to more, more and more is is just uh, how genuine people are, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you can tell when when someone's reading a script mm-hmm. or someone's a- someone's actually talking by the heart, talking from the heart. You know, I, I wrote down a couple things here on, on my notepad. Not a lot, just to make sure I covered a couple things. But you know, we're just talking. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just—I mean, you don't have anything written down. You're just talking. No, and I didn't and, even know what we were going to talk yeah, about so, today. So, I mean, I think <laughs> that's why people like it, right? Yeah. It's almost like watching a uh, like real reality TV, like America's Funniest Home Videos, or, mm-hmm. or not like these fake reality shows where they kind of already know what's yeah. going on. They kind of they kind of say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe you and her need to fight." So. You know, it'd be good for ratings. Mm-hmm. But like watching like actual reality, you know, mm-hmm. this is what this is. This is two people talking and it it's a new outlet for people to actually get news and not or get opinions get on get opinions news. with people that don't actually have like these hidden agendas. You yeah.
1: Know. Well, theoretically, I, I imagine there are some podcasters that do. Right, right. But for the most part, I think that podcasters are podcasters because it is an an, an accessible platform. And a lot of folks who are using um, Hidden Agendas use other, other platforms for that because people love that. So they give them those those bigger platforms because they want to reach and, and brainwash more people like Candace Owens is a perfect example of someone who has a, a huge platform because she's doing a lot of damage to the black community as a black woman and white supremacists love her and, and people with internalized racism problems, black people who have internalized their racism also love Candace Owens because she speaks their language because She, she, she herself has an issue with that. So when, so, but the funny thing is she's not a podcaster, right? She doesn't have to be because people are willing to give her that space on Fox news. They're willing to give her that space on, you know, Glenn Beck's show or whatever. They want her to use that platform. Podcasters meanwhile are like, um, I, I love to have one person listen to my show. <laughs> I love to have an audience because I have some things I really want to say, and they're genuine. But because because they're genuine, that's that's why we go to podcasting. Yeah, I
0: mean, um, I you know, I, I when I created mine, I I I really it kind of started uh my love of sports. Right, like the mm-hmm. first one I did, I I uh, my guest was a, a former NFL player. So we, we we talked a lot, mostly about football, a little bit about concussions. But mm. as uh, as I started doing more and more episodes, um, I kind of realized that that it's just me wanting to talk to somebody, get to know somebody, and hear their opinion on what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, it's kind of opened up my eyes and really. And it's always good just to get somebody else's perspective, right? Um, most of the people that come on are, are my friends or, you know, close associates. So I already have this nice rapport with that person. Mm-hmm. So really, no matter what they say, even if I might find it kind of controversial offensive, I'm not going to blow up on them, right? Because I know that this is my friend or whatever, mm-hmm. and they we're just having a conversation.
1: It's because you're much nicer than I am. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I my throat chakra is really open, so if someone says something crazy, I'm gonna go off on them, even if <laughs> I mean, but not in a very controlled way that is still informed through my yogic path.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I've uh, I've 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 been more of, of a in the past more of a, a person who who looks for conflict, a little reactionary. You know, but but. Mm. I just from experience, you know, uh, a lot of times people, you come a little bit too strong on them. They they don't want to talk, or yeah. they get offended. So. And it's
1: not. And you know what? You said something that was that was really, I think, really brilliant. And you were looking for conflict, and I think that you know, I really think that's the problem with discourse in America right now is people are kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop to see when, when that person they're talking to is going to say something that they don't agree with or that they want to fight over or whatever, as opposed to just like, Hey, look right now, like what I feel that you're saying some racist things right now. I don't think that you're doing that on purpose. So but this is what I'm hearing. Let's talk about it. Like who's having that type of conversation? You know what I'm saying? And that's just not, again, if we have those types, if we have those types of conversations with people with whom we don't agree, then the people who are trying to divide communities that really have for generations been linked together, um, they don't get to win as easily because we're divided. We're, we're not divided. If we're united, they can't, they can't come in and do the thing, dismantle the empire. Right. So, um, so the more that we can have those conversations of, Hey, you know, what you said actually was hurtful. And, um, this is how I interpreted it. Like, I don't think that you were trying to hurt me, but this is what you said. And it was super hurtful. So, um, and give that person an opportunity to say, dude, I, I didn't, I didn't know that it was a hurtful thing to say. You know, when we can do that, that's when we can really step into healing and the bigger work of making a better world for, for ourselves and for our children.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely, completely agree with you. And I, I know, I, I believe that we are kind of trending towards mm-hmm. that direction. Um, people are engaging right yeah. it, it might not always be in the most uh efficient way mm. but at least there's a conversation going and there even is. even if even if the other person is uh being 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 stubborn or 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 hateful it, it's still um allowing you on the other side to kind of be like well this is this is the issue here like even yeah. even seeing that you go okay there's there's work here to be done you know there you know, because a lot of these people, it's not it's not a matter of not being intelligent, right? It's just a matter of being misinformed.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a for ma- sure,
0: brainwashed, and right?
1: sometimes choosing to remain misinformed. I have a um, and a a person in my life that constantly is you know causing kind of this reactionary commentary every time I say anything political, and my thing is is that when it was it's always through social media when we're actually together we never have those conversations and so it's like why are, why are you held into on creating this discord because you're behind a, a computer but when we're in person why don't we have real and legitimate deep conversations to be able to you know come to some sort of understanding and I truly believe it's because the person that I'm, I'm referring to really doesn't want to evolve his thinking And so, you know, behind a keyboard, you can, you can keep all of your preconceived notions. You can, you can sit in your ignorance on a topic or an issue because you're not, you don't, you're not with that person or you're not having a direct conversation in that person. At that point, it's just a cockfight, you know, Right? it's like, uh, who can jab the best or whatever. So for me, because I'm no longer interested in arguing with people, like, I'm like, I mean, the petty person in me, which is I'm still working with, she's still there, you know, <laughs> will say things like, look, it sounds like you need a win today. So, <laughs> so here I give you this conversation, like win it. Like, I, I don't, I don't need this win. Um, but the, the compassionate person in me who is hopefully one day overcoming the petty person um, is saying things like, look, like right now you are speaking from your perspective and I do, and why is it that we only have these conversations in this way instead of in person? Like, why are you, will, why do you want to continue this argument? What is this giving you? Cause it gives me nothing. And I'm not really interested in arguing for the sake of arguing. I don't like arguing at walls. You know, I'm trying to build a c- communities right now and a bigger world to participate in. So why are you, wa- you're wasting my time with this. Do you want to have a role conversation or not? And if the answer is, uh, you know, I really don't want to talk about the, then then what are we doing?
0: <laughs> you know, I've always been a person who, uh, who, who would think that, you know, sometimes, you know, and, and, and in certain cases still might be, you know, where violence, you know, to solve, uh, problems. But I think right now, um, violence is not the solution, you know? No, um, it's and, not. It, it, it's, I mean,
1: it's, well, history would disagree with you. Right, but... <laughs> i I think
0: we're at the point now in terms of what we have to offer with with technology and communication Mm -hmm. that we we can come together we can we can look for a peaceful solution because um you know another civil war would be catastrophic for the country you know
1: well what people don't realize is we're already in a violent world like we're already in a violent world and we We don't need more guns. We don't need more fighting because we're already doing that. People, kids have already died in school shootings. Um, People have already been raped. Trans women, black trans women are already being killed by people. So people are already dying. We don't, it's not even, you know, at a point of, of um, even bringing in this question of civil war, which I know has been been the thing that people have talked about. But the truth is, is that, first of all, I I really think people overestimate people's desire to get off of their couches and do anything. (laughs) There would never be a civil war just because people are inherently lazy. If they weren't lazy, there wouldn't be the arguments. Right. You know, so nobody's going to go out there and go do anything. This is why we have people with pot bellies, In militia gear, carrying guns and standing on steps, they're not actually trying to do anything or, God forbid, run. They're they're not going to do those (laughs) things. They just want to stunt by showing their ARs and things like that. I mean, they have these big, big rifles because they want long range um, bullets so that they don't have to actually interact with anyone. So this whole concept of, oh, there, there could be a civil war is not true because people are too freaking lazy. Um, that said, if you want to look at how violent our world is, I mean, look at the fact that we haven't had any school shootings this since March because we haven't been in school. So the violent world we already live in, the world now the the civil unrest is with words and is with sowing discord so that people kill one another on this really like insidious like under under subtle way you know what i mean mm-hmm. um like people um telling people that they're worthless so that they they kill themselves and not taking care of war veterans so that they kill themselves, sending people into uh, unsafe school environments, sending um, teachers in. Oh, and there's one thing that I wanted to say about COVID, because you mentioned earlier about how the 1% were saying, like, um, we can keep this gravy train growing. You know, COVID is a, is a, Is a gravy train for somebody. And the the thing is is that um if you're looking at the people who are dying in huge numbers, they're not wealthy white people, they're Latinos and black people who are dying in the biggest numbers. And so I wanted to just I I you said this and I forgot, and I just want to put this out there for all of the people who are no mask people you know, you've really been sold a lie because the people who seeded the idea that wearing a mask was taking away from people's freedoms, they're not the ones dying. The ones that are dying are the ones who are black and brown, who are working class, who are out there working, who are out there doing the thing. And the more of us that die, the less uh, there are of us to vote to um, become attorneys, to become judges, to become senators, to become congressmen, you know, and, and that, and I truly believe that the reason why this movement to not wear masks is because the science is there to support that black and brown people are the ones who are suffering the most is the, the easiest way to suppress a vote is for the person to not be able to vote because they're dead. Or to not be able to vote because they they don't have access. So if so if we truly want to be subversive and if we truly want to move justice forward, we need to be healthy enough to keep our communities safe by dismantling that lie around masks so that people are around to vote in November. Cause I I I I'm sorry, but like the the science is there to show that. Latinos have the higher numbers of diabetes. African-Americans have the higher number of, of heart diseases. And those are the two biggest comorbid, comorbid, comorbidities of, um, of people who have severe uh, COVID disease. So if, if, we, if you sit there and promote, oh, man, this is a hoax. Don't wear a mask, blah, 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 blah. And the numbers just keep going up. Who are those numbers actually representing? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a lie being sold to directly affect our communities. And I know that that sounds kind of conspiracy theorist. Um, but I'm just looking at, I'm just look I'm just analyzing numbers right now. You know what I mean? When there are like super wealthy white people dying in large numbers, I will, I'll make different commentary, especially when you have people from that watch Fox news and things like that are the ones that are promoting this idea around masks. Who are the ones who are actually suffering as a result? So if you're listening out there, wear a freaking mask, stop being a dick dude. (laughs) Like wear a mask, (laughs) like wear masks, take care of others. Black lives matter, man. Like arrest the people who killed Rihanna Taylor. Like, let's just do this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I just really hope that, uh, You know, right now it's, 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 we're during COVID. Everybody's in, you know, not working or has all this extra time. And this, you know, this isn't going to last forever, right? Eventually things are going to come to some kind of normal. But I just hope that when, when we're able to, to come together and, and meet and talk, that, that there, this, that this conversation still continues and that people Mm -hmm. are still willing to, to do something about it, right? Play mm-hmm. play your role. I mean, yeah, you, by yourself you can't change the world, but but you, you can. F- you, Look well, at Gandhi. Look at you, Martin Luther King you can, Jr. Right. You can influence
1: others. Yeah, right? you can. And, and you can start a whole movement. Exactly. Look at Christianity. Look at Islam. <laughs> <laughs> Only took one dude. That's it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I hope that we continue this conversation. I think we will. There's a there's a, a saying. There's a saying in. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's the yoga world. Maybe it's just my world. But um, that the universe keeps giving you the same lesson over and over again until you learn it. And I think that as, um, as this, our culture doesn't learn or our culture refuses to accept that, um, that we have to, we have to do better, we have to do more, we have to be in community, we have to, We have to spend more time in nature. You know, one of the things is being outside is one of the the things to help with COVID, but because of vitamin D and, you know, we have to be in nature. We have to be with one another to survive this. As long as we're not willing to do that, then we're just going to keep getting the same lesson over and over again. More people are just going to keep dying until people learn that, oh, wait, no, you really do have to wear a mask. It really isn't healthy to be inside all day. We really probably should plant a garden and maybe we should eat of it, you know, (laughs) like maybe we shouldn't eat fake food, you know. Um, Maybe the reason why Europe and literally everywhere else in the world has done better with this than us is because they're not eating GMO fake food um, all the time, their bodies can handle it because their bodies are filled with actual food instead of with chemicals. So, <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, hopefully, uh, we can use this time to have like a new enlightenment and yes, when we come out of our COVID shell, you know, we could be mm-hmm. this beautiful butterfly with brand new perspectives and, uh, and viewpoints
1: hashtag cocoon that shit <laughs> yeah i think that that's it like this is the new enlightenment this is it get on the train because this is happening this there's no hopefully history has shown that there is a shift a paradigm shift that's happening on the other side of this the question is will you be a part of that shift or will you be left behind that's the only question
0: that's it well folks we've uh, hit two hours here and um <laughs> yeah. no way yeah, no nah,
1: it's like an hour and a half no nah,
0: two hours but if, if um, just to let the, uh, the listeners know um, where can they find the ranch It's the, the ranch Houston on Facebook uh,
1: so yeah the ranch Houston is on Facebook also on the gram the underscore ranch underscore Houston um, I'm also on the gram at diva underscore transcending. Don't send me a friend request on, <laughs> on uh, Facebook cause I'm not going to accept it. Uh, but, uh, also Ashe yoga is on Facebook and I'm sure Victor, you'll put more info in there, but for sure, follow what we're doing at the ranch Houston and, uh, and also what we're doing with Ashe yoga and wellness. It's about to blow up. So come get in while you, while you can and the mill. HTX is also a part of the Ranch Houston.
0: Folks, you heard it here first, so we need to go ahead and get uh, following those Instagrams and come, you know, come support local businesses and
1: and black owned
0: uh, black owned local businesses. Uh, come do some yoga. Everybody needs to do some yoga, and everybody needs to meditate. Yes. Well, Tamika, thanks for coming on. Thank it, you. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you. It was my pleasure. I really appreciate your thought provoking. Questions, and uh, I look forward to um, hearing what your listeners have to say, and look forward to them meditating more. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> All right, folks, you have a good one.